0: good morning morning. morning. I uh, really appreciate everyone being here this morning and uh, as you know we are in the middle of a series entitled losing my religion and we've been studying out the Beatitudes now before I get into the lesson for today I do want to share with you about a, a dream I had when I think I was a teenager it was it was certainly when I was a teenager I don't remember exactly how old I was but I call it my perfect dream have you ever had a perfect dream I had a dream one time and the dream itself was really not that big of a deal it was me and a bunch of friends and we were in a dune buggy or something going through the the desert over the dune buggies over the sand dunes but the thing i remember about the dream the thing that makes it my perfect dream was that i it was one of those dreams where i just was so happy i can i can vividly remember the feeling of the dream and it was this feeling of just being completely satisfied completely content. With whatever was going on and i remember it being in there and it was like man this is the greatest ever and then i I remember looking up in the blue sky and and i was with my friends and the whole thing and i kept hearing this noise in the dream and it was starting to get louder and louder and it was irritating me because this was my perfect dream i mean i felt so good in this dream and then i realized it was my alarm clock and i woke up and i was so mad that I turned off the alarm clock and immediately tried to go back to sleep and get the dream going again. And I tried. Have you ever done that? I tried to get that dream started again. And I actually remember like it would start and then it would stop. And it would start and it would stop. And then I was so frustrated. Man, that was the perfect dream and it was ruined by that stupid alarm clock. Have you ever had that where you lost something that you really loved and, and you want to get it back? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're gonna read verses one through 10. We are gonna look at the Sermon on the Mount, but we're really gonna read just the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, something called the Beatitudes. Verse one, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to Him and He began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Of course, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever. Preach, taught by Jesus early in His ministry when He spent most of His time in Galilee going from town to village teaching and healing and gathering large numbers of interested people in the, in the, in the countryside and the villages. And at one point, He went up on a hillside somewhere near the Sea of Galilee and He taught the Sermon on the Mountain. There may have been thousands of people there in His hearing. And He began it with these eight beatitudes. These are, these are eight characteristics of what... They're essentials. Of what a Christian looks like what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like now in our series losing my religion we've been going through them one at a time and and today we're on I think it's number four blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled you know we started off looking at blessed are the poor in spirit and we had that picture of the monopoly guy with his pockets turned out you know and the whole idea there is that we're just empty in and of ourselves there's not a whole lot of value in us we're empty but it's what god puts in us that makes us valuable and that's how he wants us to be he wants us to realize our emptiness so he can fill us up with what's valuable then we talked about those who mourn and and the whole idea there of being sobered by our sin of, of being broken realizing our brokenness and that brokenness sobers us about sin in our lives and the sin uh, around us. And then we looked at, blessed are those who are meek, and the whole idea of being selfless with our power. Whatever it is that we do, whatever, wherever we put our hand to work or, or open our mouth to speak, do we do it with a selflessness, a meekness? And today we're going to be talking about Righteousness. Now, as I've done throughout this series, and I'm going to do it again today, there's always a few ground rules we need to establish when we look at the Beatitudes. And I, and I feel the need to always remind us of the ground rules. Ground rule number one. The Beatitudes are meant for all followers. Jesus never had different levels of commitment for different people. He didn't say, oh, you poor thing, you only have to do A, B, and oh, you're a really cool guy, you have to do A, B, and C. Jesus didn't do that. He had one standard for everyone. And the Beatitudes are the standard. They're the beginning. They're the start. That's, that's ground floor, number one, for followers of Jesus Christ. These eight characteristics are what he calls any follower, to, anyone who wants to be a follower of his to be doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how smart or rich or successful or, or what you look like. These are meant for all followers. Right. Secondly, all followers are meant to manifest all the beatitudes. We don't get to pick and choose, right? You can't say, well, I'll be a peacemaker and you be poor in spirit. No, that's not how it works. We got to be all of them. If we want to follow Jesus Christ, we've got we've to embrace all of these characteristics in our life. Thirdly, we're not born with these Beatitudes. These are not something that come natural to any of us, regardless of how awesome you may think you are or how awesome I may think I am. I am not the embodiment of these principles. They're much deeper than that. Fourthly, the Beatitudes are what separate followers from non-followers. You can identify a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ by looking for the Beatitudes. In their life, and a friend of mine recently, Gerardo Cueva made a good point, and I, and I, I feel like I got to add this now. And it has nothing. That, and, 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 and what I want to add to this point is that we're not separated according to Jesus by our race, our sex, uh, or, or our financial status, or anything else that the world wants to separate us by. Right. Jesus doesn't do that when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, what separates us is our following of Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the beatitudes in our lives. That's what makes us different. We don't, it's not our skin color. It's not our, our sex. We don't, we don't get into that. It's not our gender. In other words, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not a white Christian. I'm not a, you're not a black Christian. You're a Christian as far as Jesus sees it, because that's, Our distinguishing factor. That's the only one that matters. Lastly, the Beatitudes are from another world. They really are. I mean, they just don't fit in this world. And that's why Christians stand out, real Christians, true Christians. That's why we stand out. Are you standing out in the world around you? Do you stand out in Simi Valley? Hmm. It's a good question to ask as we begin to study the Beatitudes. Before we look at the main verse that we're going to talk about today and break it down, let's go to God in prayer. Father, Thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for this opportunity to, to come before you and learn from your word. Please open our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's look at our beatitude for today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As I said before, Jesus has already called us to be empty. He's already called us to be sober. He's already called us to be selfless. And now he's calling us to be righteous. But more than that... He's asking us to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. In other words, of all the things that Jesus puts on the top of the list, righteousness is right there. We can be passionate about a lot of things. We can be passionate about sports. We can be passionate about our careers. We can be passionate about our family. But, but the thing that Jesus puts at the top, the thing that He puts as part of the essential of a Christian character, of a follower of Jesus Christ, the essential of their character, right there at the top of the list is righteousness. Is it the top of your list? More importantly, why? Why does righteousness matter? Before we we get there, before we answer those things, I'm going to do what I've done this entire series. We're going to define what righteousness isn't. So let's first talk about what righteousness is not. First off, righteousness is not the same thing as morality. Morality is based on general principles, and it's also very relative to a culture that it's in. So some cultures have one type of morality, other cultures have a different type of morality. They're very general, based on the principles and the value systems of that culture. Righteousness, as Jesus uses it, is not that. He's not talking about a general sense of right and wrong that's somewhat arbitrary between cultures. It's actually much more specific and much more personal as we'll see. The second thing that righteousness is not is that we're not talking about self-righteousness. That's the idea that we're morally superior than than the person next to us. In fact that's as opposite of righteousness as Jesus used it as can be. The problem with self-righteousness is it's based on the opinion you hold of yourself. And you know what they say about opinions, right? Everybody has one. So, righteousness is much more concrete than that. It's much more static or, or, or stable than that. It doesn't depend on what you think of yourself. It depends more on your actions than your opinions. Right. So what does righteousness mean? What are we, what is Jesus talking about when he used the word righteousness? Okay, well, let's let's look at the English definition of the word. Let's think about the word for a minute. Rightness or right es right? That comes from uh, the, the, the 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 last part of the word there, the E-O-U-S, comes from old English. And the original word is W-I-S, wis. So it was originally right-wis. Right? Now, the word "wis" means manner, state, or condition. So righteousness is a right manner, a right state, a right condition. Now, that's the, that's the English definition. That's the literal definition of the word. Right manner, right state, right condition. But even that fails to communicate what I believe Jesus meant by the word righteousness. So the best way to understand what Jesus meant by the word righteousness, is to let Jesus define the word righteousness. Now, we can do that by going through all the verses in the Bible where Jesus used the word righteousness, or he made an example or a reference to. And we would be here for several weeks if we did that. And maybe we'll do that one day. Maybe we'll do a study of the word righteousness and all the ways in which Jesus used it. But for our our purpose today and for time's sake, and if you will allow me, What I'd like to do is I just like to look at the five or six times it's used in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught this sermon and a number of times in the sermon, he uses the word righteous, including the time that we just looked at right here, but he used it elsewhere in the same sermon. So let's just start there. Let's just take the five or six different examples that Jesus had of the word righteous. And I think we'll come up with a decent working definition of the word. Amen? Amen. So here we go. Example number one, this is outside of what we've already read. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, right here in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the last Beatitude. We're going to do a whole study on this in a couple of weeks. But notice the, how he uses the word here. He communicates by this use that righteousness is worth something. It's worth suffering or being, or, 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 or being persecuted for. So righteousness, as Jesus sees it, has a tremendous amount of value. It's worth suffering for. Another use of the word. In verse 20, a little bit later. For I tell you that your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to pause for a minute because at the time Jesus said this, Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were the most righteous people you could find. I mean, if you were going to find a righteous person, that was the people you would point to. Now, they weren't all perfect, they weren't all righteous, but as a group, generally speaking, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were considered highly righteous people, way above the norm, way above the average. Like maybe people might consider a a, you know a minister today supposed to be you know you expect them to have a high level of righteousness, right? Beyond the, the average. Well, Jesus is saying, "Hey, the kind of righteousness I'm talking about is even better than that. It's even higher than that. It goes beyond any kind of righteousness that you can see." in the people around you, even the best of you. I'm talking about something beyond that. Another uh, passage he uses in the same sermon, Matthew chapter six, verse one, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will not, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now, what we see here is that Jesus communicates that righteousness is something that is both inward and outward. It encompasses the whole person, right? It's not just action. It's also attitude. It's, it, we got, Jesus ex, uh, looks at people and defines them as righteous if they're congruent. They're the same inside as they are outside. Okay. It involves the whole person. Another example in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The, the his here is God, God the Father. And so Jesus defines righteousness, uh, or, or Jesus communicates in this verse in the same sermon, that righteousness is something that is defined by God himself. That's why it's not morality, because morality can be defined by a culture. A culture can have a set of values and consider those values moral. Uh, uh, and it's also why it's not self-righteousness, because in an individual can have their own definition of righteousness is, but the, the, the definition that actually matters is the one that God gives. And so according to Jesus righteousness is something that is defined by God. Now, this is important and I'm glad we got the uh, all ages in here this morning. This is important because Jesus believed in the God that was revealed to the Hebrew people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the God of the prophets. In fact, that's who Jesus came to. We know this historically. He came to the people of Israel. And they had a very definitive definition of what, who God is and, and, and who, he, or who he was. And it was that those people and it was that definition that Jesus had in mind when he said his righteousness. In other words, this would rule out any other God if there was such a thing. Jesus would not call what any other belief, religious belief system uh, would produce as actually righteous. Because it's coming from a God other than the God that he referred to when he said his righteousness. You follow me? Yeah. So, if we put this together, we have, a, we have a pretty interesting definition of the word Righteousness. It's something that is defined by God. It involves the whole person. It's more rigorous than anything anybody knew at the time. And it's worth suffering for. Maybe the best way. And the definition I'm going to go with for today's lesson is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. I want you to pause because there's tension here. Here we go. I want you to, listen to, I want you to look at the words on the screen and I just want to see your reaction. Here it is. The best way I can define from the words of Jesus, taken from the Sermon on the Mount, what righteousness is. Are you ready? Ready. Mm -hmm. Ready. Really? (laughs) Really. (laughs) Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That really is the definition of rightness, the right state, condition, or manner of a person. It's It's to be perfect as God is perfect. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews, the God revealed in in the scriptures we have that we call the Bible. Not any other God. That God. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, did I fire six shots or only five? None of you know that reference. Darn, I was hoping you'd get that reference. Did you ever see Dirty Harry? It's a great movie. I know what you're thinking. Did I fire six shots or only five? No, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that is impossible. How can I be perfect? And, and I mean, I can't be perfect. So how in the world can it be at the top of Jesus's list? I mean, right off the bat in the Sermon on the Mount, he's asking you to be empty. Okay, okay, that's hard, but okay, I'll be empty. He's asking you to be sober. Okay, yes, I'm a sinner and I can get in touch with that. He's asking you to be selfless. Well, that's a hard one, but man, I can work towards that. But I cannot be righteous. I cannot be perfect. And the fact of the matter is you are right no one is righteous not one yet jesus makes it a standard for anyone who would call themselves a follower why why is it so high on the list if it's not attainable so i'm going to give you an analogy i thought of this all by myself this is my own analogy i'm proud of this analogy Imagine uh, babies. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're not a parent, but you can imagine a, a newborn baby. There are few things more perfect in this world than a newborn baby. That's right. If you've ever been there when a baby's born, or you've been around a newborn, they, I mean, they don't even smell. You know, you just for the first few days there, they're just perfect, and then they grow. <laughs> It's all downhill from there. That's right. And then they grow yeah. and the imperfection of uh, the, the perfection disappears. That's right. And you know, and, and, and to be honest, if you're a parent or whether you, even for your own life, you think about it, there's a, there's something wrong about that. It just feels wrong. This, this perfect child and, and now, what, look at what they've done, or what they get into, or what they do, and there's something wrong about that. Yeah. You think about your own life, and, and, and this, these perfect moments, like my perfect dream, and it ended, and there was just something wrong with that. You know, God, He made man, and He made man perfect. Yeah. Right. At least that's how the, the God of the, of the Hebrews tells the story in the Scriptures, He tells the story that he made man perfect and it was good. But that man became imperfect. Mm -hmm. And there's something wrong about that. There's something not right about that as God sees it. Like any parent or anybody who's appreciated a, a, a newborn, there's just something that doesn't add up about the perfect becoming imperfect. And and, and by the way, the Hebrew Bible refers to that that term of imperfect. You know what the word is for that? Sin. Sin is to be imperfect. It's to err. It's to miss the mark. And so that perfect man that was created became a sinner. He became imperfect, imperfect. And that was not what God had intended. He intended everything to be just fine. To be perfect. And it isn't. And it wasn't. And it still isn't. And there's something wrong about that. And that's why righteousness is so important. Because it's not how God intended us to be unrighteous. He didn't intend us to become unrighteous or imperfect. He wants nothing more. It's at the top of his list for you and I to be perfect. Like any parent would want their child to be perfect, God wants you and I in the same way to be perfect. But the fact of the matter is we aren't and we never will be. Or maybe a better way to put it, we can't be. And so what does God the Father do? Well, He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to tell us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't know if you caught that. But you can't be perfect, but you can want it. You can desire it. You can, you can hunger and thirst for it. There's a story, and if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's a totally okay. You, you, know, you know this story. You've heard it a million times. It's the story of the prodigal son. And the, the story of the prodigal son is that there's a father who has two kids, and one of them, the younger one, decides he doesn't want to live at home anymore in that perfect situation he had. So he takes his inheritance early, and he leaves because he wants to go explore the world. He wants to enjoy his life out there in the world and he does and he goes and lives it up, man. In parties uh, from, from sunup to sundown and just lives, lives his life. Uh-huh. But he runs out of money at some point and he ends up having to work for a man feeding pigs and, and in order to satisfy his hunger there he is eating the same food that the pigs ate. Uh-huh. And then when he got to the point of starving he went home. He realized, and nothing I've chased filled me up. Nothing I chased satisfied. Even though he tried many times to fill himself up, even to the point of eating pig slop, he finally got to the point to where he said, I'm starving. And he went home. You know, I think that that imagery is in this beatitude. The, The phrase hunger and thirst really communicates a starving for something that satisfies I know that feeling I've been that prodigal son I have tried to fill myself with whatever the world offers and, and I've had my share of pig slop as I'm sure many of you have, have as well but there was a point in time where I, I realized I was starving and I wanted something else I needed something that would satisfy, and that was when I decided to make my way back to church, to make my way back to God. And I'm so grateful that Jesus said, blessed are you, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for perfection, because I'm not righteous. I'm not perfect, but I can hunger and I can thirst. I know what that's like. I can starve for righteousness. And that's what I want you to write on your connection card. The first thing I want you to write if you're taking notes is, hey, if you want to be righteous, you've got to be perfect. So you can just write, to be perfect, on your connection card. That's the standard. But under that, you can write, starve for righteousness. Those are the two things I want you to take away. i got one more in just a minute, but... Those two things I want to put in your mind. To be perfect, starve for righteousness. That is what Jesus called blessed. That is what Jesus called fortunate or ideal or happy. That's what the word blessed means. As a matter of fact, there's another way to think of the word blessed beyond happy, fortunate, and ideal. There's another great way to think of the word blessed because the word blessed is such a deep word in the bible it's got it's got so many facets to it it also could mean and i want you to hear this to be congratulated so picture a, a dad in the waiting room when his his kids are born this is back in the old days before dads were allowed to go into the room with the kid but imagine in the old days when the dad was there in the waiting room and the, the doctor comes in and says, you had a son and everybody breaks out the cigars and everybody pats him on the back they congratulate him good job way to go right That's blessed to be congratulated when we hunger, when we starve for righteousness, that's a blessing. That's God patting you on the back way to go. That's the way I want you to be. Now picture this for a minute. Let's add this up. Let's look at the beatitudes we've studied so far. We're empty, we're sober, we're selfless, and we're starving. That's the recipe for success, according to Jesus. To be empty, to be sober, to be selfless, and to starve. That's the ideal place to be. That's the blessed place to be. That's the fortunate place to be. That's the happy place to be. That's the to-be-congratulated place to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus wants us to be happy. He wants us to feel blessed. He wants to congratulate us. He wants us in that ideal and in that fortunate place. But it only comes when we seek or we hunger or we starve for righteousness. Now, I'm, I'm pausing here because I want to make another point. This is a side point, but I want you to get this point. We sometimes try to do it the other way around, don't we? We try to make ourselves happy by seeking happiness. But the fact of the matter is you cannot seek happiness and become happy. That's what the prodigal son figured out. That's what I figured out. That's what many of you have figured out. That you can try to make yourself happy by seeking happiness but it will always be elusive. You will always be hungering for something else. You will never be filled or satisfied because you've got the cart before the horse. You have to seek His righteousness and happiness is a result. You have to seek meekness and happiness is the result. You have to seek sobriety and happiness is the result. You have to seek being empty and happiness is the result because God congratulates you He pats you on the back and says, great job. Congratulations. And he gives you the blessing, the happiness. Fortune is on you when you seek the Beatitudes. But it doesn't end there. That's not all that God wants for us. He doesn't just want us to be happy. He doesn't just want to pat us on the back and congratulate us. There's also a promise. And the promise is that he will fill you up. Amen. We think, I got to fill myself up. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we do what we do. And it's why we have this whole pleasure mania in our world today. And it's why people in Simi Valley are doing what they're doing right now on Sunday morning and not right here in church. They're trying to find something that they'll never get the way they're trying to find it. It comes only from God. And we have an obligation, and and again, I'm talking to the church here, the thing that's hit me about the Beatitudes, one of the things that, that as I've studied them more and more, I realize Jesus is talking to His followers. He's not talking to lost people. Right. He's telling this is what it looks like to be a follower. So these are actually addressed to us. So let me talk to us for a minute yeah. in the same spirit of Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but let me talk in the same spirit. we got to be righteous. Amen. we got to be this kind of righteousness. We got to have this kind of righteousness that goes beyond the righteousness of anybody else around us. We got to hunger for it. We got to thirst for it because that's what's going to make you happy. That's what's going to fulfill you. But more importantly, that's what's going to help other people find happiness, find blessing. And there is an entire valley filled of seamy people that needs this message. We are a small church. We have got to get more vocal. We've got to get out there and we've got to be more aggressive and we've got to become these beatitudes so that we can make a difference to the people around us. Because Jesus wants what's right for them every bit as much as he wants what's right for you. You're not the only one to be congratulated. You're not the only one he wants to make right. And so I'm going to put it on your hearts. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. You've got to bring people in the door. You've got to witness to people. You've got to share this with people. You've got to call them out of their search, trying to fill themselves up, their search for happiness, and show them the right way to do it. How do you do that? You bring them to church. That's how it happened for me. It's not that complicated. You bring them to church. We have midweeks all through the month of June. The sole purpose of the midweeks in June, being at Duck Park every Wednesday through the month of June, we're going to have food, we're going to do stuff, the sole purpose of that is to bring people to it. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Bring people to those midweeks. From there we can rub elbows, we can make connections, and we can get them in the door. And from there we can share the words of Jesus Christ with them, and then it's on them. But our part If we really truly are starving and we really truly know what that's like, wouldn't you want to feed other people too? So, this Wednesday is the start. This this June and July, we'll probably do something similar. You know, and even in the fall, we'll do something similar. But the idea is we got to start opening our mouths, we got to start inviting people because people need this message. So, righteousness means to be perfect. Jesus calls us to starve for it, to want it, to yearn for it as if if it was the last meal on earth. That's what He wants for us. And when we're like that, He congratulates us. He blesses us. But there's one other thing. He also gives us a promise, as I said before. He promises to fill us. So here's the question. With what? What does He fill us with? I want you to look at this verse philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 this is the apostle paul a follower of jesus christ a man who knew what righteousness was a man who if you track his life through the scriptures you will see him going from very unrighteous to very righteous he understood this he says and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless for the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God God wants to fill you with the fruit of righteousness the big question is well what is the fruit of righteousness it's a real simple answer more righteousness that's what he's talking about here when he says knowledge depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless that means perfect right God wants to give you more righteousness in fact that is the process of following jesus christ you make the decision i want to be a follower of jesus christ you step out of the crowd and you become a follower you say yes i'm going to manifest these things i'm going to embrace the beatitudes i'm going to become these things now we can only get so far in fact we kind of get nowhere but by making that decision and that's the last thing i want you to write on your card decide to follow jesus by making that decision to decide to follow jesus he will give you more righteousness and every year you'll get more righteousness. If you continue to follow, he'll keep giving you more righteousness until he makes you perfect until he makes you righteous. So we actually can get there. We actually can fulfill the beatitude, the call to become righteous, to become perfect, not on our own power but simply by the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And then what He does is He just keeps giving us more and more and more righteousness. We have more and more desire to be right with God. We have more and more desire to not sin. We even start to develop a desire to not even want to sin. But only comes when we make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. He does the rest. He fills you up.. Right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. You know, I started off by telling you about my perfect dream, yeah. right? and how I really wanted that dream back. Just I want to capture that, that feeling of being so satisfied. God has a dream. He has a dream for every one of us. He wants to make us perfect as well. He wants to make us satisfied in every way. Not only us, but the people around us. Yet God promises he'll do that. All we have to do is hunger and thirst for it. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close with a prayer, and then we'll have a final song, and you'll be dismissed.